I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. Attraction is such an interesting thing, and it's quite complex. We're going to talk through our different types of attraction to different people over the course of our non-monogamous relationship, as well as how attraction plays a role in our own relationship. Before we get to that today, though, we want to talk about some sex in the news, which I think is so interesting because it's one of those topics that seems to pop up a lot. When is the best time of day to have sex? When is the time that makes the most sense, uh, that most people want to be having sex, etc.? And there is an article from the Huffington Post that actually outlines some research about the best time of day to be having sex. Well, I think the best time of day to be having sex is the time you have available. Yeah, <laughs> well, isn't that the truth? As an adult, that's the, the correct answer yeah, for is sure. There, is there really a, I mean, is there a bad time? I, I, I guess I don't know. Well, for me personally, for us, I don't think there's ever a bad time. I would love to have sex with you. If it was up to me, we'd have sex like six times a day, (laughs) all different times a day. But for people that have to be a little bit more strategic with their time, (laughs) us included, there's, I guess, the question of when is the best time? When are people most likely to be in the mood, etc.? So there's an article from the Huffington Post. It is titled, Is it better to have sex in the morning or at night? An expert weighed the pros and cons of getting intimate at different times of the day and shared her findings. So I thought we would uh, share a couple of these. Some of them are quite interesting. Here's one that's pretty pertinent for you and me, Brian. People of different ages tend to have different preferences of the time of day that they would like to get down and dirty. Oh, that's interesting. What time of day do people your age typically want to do that? In the evening. The later, the better. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, people my age tend to stay up later. They tend to uh, have bustling social lives that keep them out a little bit later than people your age. And as a result, result of that, the typical age that that they report being most in the mood is between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m., which I'm just throwing this out there. Even at 31 years old, I am rarely up during those hours. Yeah, that's yeah. we don't live that lifestyle, so I don't know anything about that at this point. And for me, 51, what do they say? What time? Typically, people your age prefer to have sex in the morning. You tend to be early to bed and early to rise. And as a result of that, the best time for someone in your age bracket is between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. I don't know about all. I mean, we're up before that typically. So, you know, 6 a.m. But we definitely have done that for sure. I just don't know if that's my preferred time. I don't think I, I don't think I prefer a time. I've never really even thought about that. You know, for the most part, I think the witching hour for you and I is anytime we have the time. And typically, you know, after we've been out maybe to dinner or whatever, uh, if it's just the two of us, of course. uh, Yeah, I think it's probably a little earlier in the evening, right? Because we tend to spend a little bit more time. Well, that's not my favorite time, time, that's what you're saying. We spend more time having sex and playing and, and doing those things. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think a little later in the day is probably preferable for me. Interesting. Well, that's not what the research says, okay? It also says that men are more likely to be turned on and in the mood in the morning, and women are more likely to be turned on in the evening. That's interesting. Yes. And it, the biggest reason for that is because of the differences in hormonal levels for men versus women. So men's testosterone is the highest when they first wake up in the morning. Well, it's sure. a lot of the reason you get, you know, the morning erection, Correct. the morning wood, if you will. Yeah. And as a result of that, 
they are more likely to want to turn to their partners and get it on as soon as they wake up in the morning. Women do not have the highest estrogen levels first thing when they wake up. It's typically late afternoon or early evening before their hormonal levels are at their highest. Well, that's just unfair, <laughs> right? It's, that just sounds, un- that's like nature's way of saying, gotcha. Yeah. That's yeah. what that is. I Totally. It's so funny how men and women are so different on so many levels and to think that this is just one other way yeah. that nature is turning us all on our head. It's really quite yeah. interesting. Nature throws a monkey wrench in a lot of things, not the least of which apparently is sexual compatibility between men and women and the time of day. Yeah, that's really odd. Yeah, that so, men would be revved up first thing in the morning and women, eh, not so much. Yeah, I know. They also mention my favorite time of day to get down and dirty, which is the afternoon. I love afternoon sex. I think just based on us being on the road and us now working together more closely and having a little bit more flexibility in our schedules, we have been having a lot of afternoon delight type experiences. Yeah. And I prefer that because it's like, we're not tired. It's not the end of the night. We haven't just, you know, potentially gone out on a date and had a big dinner and we're weighed down and, you know, maybe we ate something that we shouldn't have and now we're tired and lethargic and all of that kind of stuff. But it's also not first thing in the morning. I don't have morning breath. I've already showered. I can look kind of cute. I can put myself together, etc. So that's definitely my favorite time of day. But apparently it is reported as the least favorite time of day for the majority of people. Well, I would imagine because of scheduling, right? Most people are either at work or at school or whatever. And the mid-afternoon is not convenient. For us, it is. And now that I think about it, we've been having more sex during the afternoon than we ever have before. Yeah, well, because we're working convenient. together. <laughs> well, right, and it's a nice break in the day, right? We do a little work in the morning, we get some exercise, we have some sex, we do a little bit more work, <laughs> you know, and take care of all the responsibilities. And then it really kind of, I think, just sets the mood, it sets the tone for the rest of the day. Yeah, it's like some people take an afternoon nap, we do an afternoon romp, and yeah. it totally re-energizes us for the remainder of the day, which I love. Yeah, I think it's a, I think that's a solid plan. So basically, the article tells us nothing (laughs) because it ends by saying that experts actually agree there is no ideal time to have sex. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) It depends completely on you, your partner, scheduling, etc. Obviously, there is a scientific approach to this in which both because of your age and your gender, you should be most revved up in the morning. But that's obviously very individualized. Well, there's no doubt that, you know, I do enjoy the uh, morning erection. But at 6 a.m., like you said, you're just rolling over. We haven't gotten, a, you know, no coffee yet, no shower, haven't brushed our teeth. It's weird. I don't know. I find that a little bit strange, although we very often have done that. But it's typically a little bit later once we get up and get going. The morning breath really does get me. Now, if it's just an oral session, that's a whole different thing, which we've definitely done. And that's been really nice in the morning. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I agree. But typically, I think I would have to agree with you. Afternoon is the way to go. Not to mention the total disparity between men and women, you know, from a physiological standpoint, you know, I'm ready first thing in the morning. Eh, you so much. Yeah. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Well, and the age certainly doesn't help us either no, in this situation. Being but 20 years apart is definitely just, it's just one more component you have to consider. I think we make it work just fine. We I am not concerned about Yeah, I think that's this. the moral of this story, right? Folks, make it work. Yeah. Figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could look at the science, but you know, maybe figure it out. Well, I think in general, that's how sex research goes. You know, it's like you read these things, you read the headlines, you see these scientific approaches to things, and it's like, ah, that's all well and good. But what does it actually mean when you're trying to 
put it into your relationship, yeah. put it into practice. Sometimes it means absolutely nothing. Yeah, theory is great. Practice is everything. Imagine you're a couple who have a couple of small children at 6 and 7 a.m. That's not happening. There's no way. You know, not, not easily anyway. I can't imagine that's a thing. So, yeah, I guess it's all about how you make it work for you around uh, all of your different scheduling conflicts and, you know, whatever life throws at you. Well, I also, I always kind of steer away from the research that talks about uh, the frequency of sex that right. is ideal in a relationship because it's like that is it, first of all it's unrealistic for a lot of people thankfully for us we're in a situation where it's not unrealistic we can have sex i think the ideal quote unquote according to science number of times of sex per week is like three right we're pretty consistently above three times per right. week that's great for us but we don't have small children we don't travel away from each other for work like right. we are with each other so often that we can do those things and we have the flexibility to to make time pockets of time for sex there are a lot of people out there that can it doesn't mean that they have bad sex lives just because they're not living up to the quote-unquote ideal frequency. No, they just have terrible schedules. That's yeah. what that means. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Welcome to adulthood. Yes. <laughs> so as mentioned at the top of the episode today, our topic is attraction. And attraction can seem like a really simple thing. You're either attracted to somebody or you're not. But once you start digging into the different types of attraction, you realize that they can really dictate how a dynamic unfolds. Not only that, but one type of attraction can very easily lead to another or, I mean, in an ideal situation, you have all the different types of attraction wrapped up into one, which is often what results in an amazing and long-term and sustainable relationship. So for the purposes of this episode, we're going to discuss five different types of attraction. I'm sure there are many others out there. There may be other names for these things in different descriptions, but for the purposes of this episode, we're just going to focus on the five. And the first one is sexual attraction. And once again, some of these definitions might be like, yeah, no, no, duh. But we're going to explain them anyway, because I also think that they can sometimes get mixed up a little. Sexual attraction is specifically the desire to be sexual with a person. And it is not to be confused with aesthetic attraction, which we'll talk about later. Right. Sexual attraction is literally the sexual draw that you have, that sexual chemistry that you feel with a person, the desire to take your clothes off when you're around them, etc. So let's discuss that one first a little bit. So sexual attraction, the most recent that I'm, that what I'm just thinking off the top of my head, we had the opportunity to play with uh, a couple of friends, one of whom was a long-term play partner of yours, our friend Clint, and he is, uh, has a partner, Persephone, as we refer to her on the show. And so we had the opportunity to play with them. And I have to say that my immediate sexual attraction to her was about as strong as I think I felt in a while with anyone other than you. It was just this instantaneous, like, just this heat, this energy yeah. that she emanates that was really attractive to me, which made the experiences that we had with them so amazing. I think one of the ways that I knew that that specific situation was sexual attraction was afterwards you told me that you and she basically ripped each other's clothes off yeah. within minutes of of Clint and I leaving the room. Now the, once again, if you are not listeners of Front Porch Swingers, these Clint is a long-term play partner. And you should totally go and listen to the episodes where we discuss the two interactions we had with all four of us together. But the whole idea is of sexual attraction specifically with this woman was 
you took almost no time at all to want to take her clothes off and to take your clothes off. You were drawn to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. There was not the standard kind of get to know you feeling out process. This was pretty much let's get naked as quickly as humanly possible and touch each other. It was just that fast. So do you think sexual attraction is kind of that unspoken thing, much like we talked about last week with chemistry? Or do you think that there are certain elements that feed into it for you specifically that you can identify? Well, there's, yeah, I do think there's a little bit of a correlation. I I genuinely like her as a person. She is a genuinely amazing person. It just so happens that I also want to get her naked every time I'm near her. So that's a nice byproduct. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I think there's a chemistry there. I think there's a chemistry component that, that kind of feeds into that. But certainly there are times when you have chemistry with someone potentially and that isn't the sexuality piece of it isn't at the forefront. It's, it's not ke- top priority. Yeah, it's not it's not the immediate kind of sense that you get. Uh, in this particular case, it's nice because there is chemistry as well. I think we got along very well and, and I enjoy our company just as a person. She's a genuinely nice person and someone who I want to see naked. So it works out really well. Sexual attraction is really interesting for me because sometimes I feel it with someone immediately and sometimes it takes a few times of seeing them to build it up. Like I've thought of partners in the past, for example, where not that our sex was bad ever, but it was never like fireworks until maybe the third or fourth time that we're together and then all of a sudden we become significantly more comfortable with each other i'm more comfortable potentially being naked in front of them so i'm able to kind of shut off parts of my brain that are not sexual in nature right i i shut off all of the thoughts that aren't sexy and it allows me to be more sexually attracted to people yeah i don't think that's that unusual i think as you get to know somebody that can intensify and certainly as you said your comfort level increases it improves and that just makes the experience that much better so from a sexual perspective yeah i I don't think that's that unusual i do think however when you meet that person and it's instant that's that really truly sexual energy that you just have to act on yeah want to act on well kind of like how our relationship started for those of you who are not aware we totally had sex on our first date, yes. which was not the norm for me. I don't know about you, but it was not for me. A lot more for me than it was for you. <laughs> and I think part of it was because we had that instant sexual attraction to each other. The other types of attraction in some ways took a little bit longer for us to get to, but we knew within hours of meeting each other that that sexual attraction was there. We we felt the heat. And even just, I remember we were sitting at a bar and you had your arm around me and all I kept thinking is like, I want more of you on me. I want more of your skin touching me. I just crave it. And that sexual attraction. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to deny when it happens. For sure. It's really fun. That's the fun one to me, of course. I think it's uh, it, it's also the one that tends to be the easiest for me in the lifestyle because some of these other types of attraction can get a little murky. Sure. Or a lot of times too, I feel other types of, of attraction to people and it kind of fizzles out over time. Sexual attraction is one that like once it's really there, I tend to be able to maintain it. Well, you just recently had an experience where sexual attraction was absolutely at the forefront. And it actually, you had diminished capacity because of it. It actually affected the way, you know, you thought in terms of, you know, making sense, you know, using reason in certain uh, aspects. And of course, the folks would have to listen to our, our other show to really understand what I'm talking about. But it was a unique experience that you had. And it was primarily driven because of that sexual 
energy. Yes, I allowed the sexual energy to overcome my logical thinking abilities. Absolutely. That's what you're referring to. Yes. And yeah, I mean, that's a situation in which demeanor and eye contact and this little spark that just grew and grew over the couple of hours that we were together made the sexual attraction really hot and intense. Right. And that and there was no wasn't that you didn't have control over, but it certainly was Again, it, it wiped out all the other senses, right? Right. Common sense went out the window. It was about the sex. Exactly. And I think that's a really good point because I think that sexual attraction can be really dangerous, right? It's often what leads to infidelity for a lot sure. of people. It is often what leads to going forward with experiences that maybe don't fully make sense, like the one you're specifically mentioning with my most recent single guy encounter. Yes. Sexual attraction has a way of just turning your brain off to nothing. But getting naked and feeling someone else on top of you or next to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and th- that was a perfect example of it, for sure. Yeah. So the se- second type of attraction we're going to talk about is sensual attraction. So this, very different from sexual attraction, is more about physical contact that is not sexual in nature. It's the desire to hug someone, to kiss them, to hold their hand, etc. So let's talk a little bit about that one. Well, that really, I think, I refer to you in that aspect as well as the sexual component, right? Because I want to hug you and kiss you. And we do that all the time. You know, we're, we're super gooey and silly when we're together, uh, whether we're in public or, you know, we're not. It's, you know, we're always touching each other if we're watching a movie or if we're just sitting at dinner. We typically sit at, a, at the bar so we can sit next to each other and touch each other. So either my arm is around you or we're holding hands or something. I'm always kissing you on the face. You know, just that kind of stuff. We're always touching one another. And that's that. That's what that is for me. That's where I, I really, I think that's where you and I live. Even when we're working out and I'm all sweaty, you want to kiss my face. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you're like, just let me kiss you. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I relate sensual attraction, typically speaking, to more of a a pull towards each other in a way of showing each other love, right? Right. Uh, I don't, for example, I've, I've had a lot of long-term play partners and they're amazing and I enjoy them on so many different levels and I have a lot of other types of attraction to them. But when I'm around them, I don't feel the need to reach across the table and grab their hand. I don't cling to them with a long hug once they're leaving. Right. Um, those types of things I do typically reserve for you. And I think part of it is, I think sensual attraction has a lot to do with vulnerability. Yeah, because it's the idea of it's not going to lead to sex. It's not about sex. It's about showing appreciation for someone and allowing the affection to speak for you. Yeah, and I also think it's the. I guess it doesn't really necessarily have to build. It's one of those things that I think I, we, you and I felt pretty early on as well as in our the early stages of our relationship. But for me, it's one of the most important components. I think it supersedes a lot of the others because it's genuine, comes from the heart. I don't think it can be faked. You know, I really believe that that's the, the one that really, for me, makes the biggest difference. It's what separates our relationship from the others that we have in our lives. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that sensual attraction in our specific relationship taught me what our love language is and how we communicate with each other because our love language, our primary love language, is touch towards each other. And so we show each other 
the affection as a way of saying, hey, I care about you. I want you to know I'm thinking of you and I'm glad to be in your presence. Those are not necessarily things we always verbalize to each other because verbalization is not our primary love language. And I like that about us. I like that being as affectionate with each other and being as comfortable being affectionate with each other as we are has shown us that that is our easiest way of communicating are caring and loving towards each other. For sure. We've even noticed, I think, a lot of times when you and I are out and we're you know, at a restaurant or whatever, our affection for each other gets people's attention. Nothing Sometimes is, not in a good way. Yeah. And, it's, and again, nothing, it's nothing overt or grotesque. It's just my kissing you or you kissing me and my, or my holding your hand or putting my arm around you, you know, that kind of thing. And when you're sitting with other couples, particularly in, a, in, a, in close proximity, and they're not doing that, it gets very uncomfortable for them, and you can see it. You can read it on them. Yep. Their body language changes. And I oftentimes think, well, that's really unfortunate because you would think that they would maybe want to or they would be encouraged by that kind of behavior, by seeing that to maybe treat their partner that way. And sometimes they do. Sometimes people see us being sensual with each other and they reach over and grab each other's hands or they reach over and, and give each other a peck. And maybe they hadn't the entire time they were sitting there until we started doing that and touching each other. I think it is kind of infectious and it's interesting to see people's different reactions to it. But that's why I say to me, sensual attraction and being willing to show it and express it is one of the most vulnerable types. Yeah, for sure. And, and without question, the one that I think you and I, as you said, it's our language of love. It's, it's you know, how we show each other that we're thinking of one another and just how we connect. Yeah, Absolutely. I like that one. Okay, so the third type of attraction we're going to discuss is romantic attraction, which is a desire to have a close emotional bond with someone and to express your emotions to someone. Hmm, interesting. That's the one that I think can get the most murky, right? It sure can, especially in the lifestyle, right? Because a lot of times romantic attraction is the one that lifestyle couples limit themselves on, right? right? They will show these other types of attraction. A lot of times their partners love that they show these other types of attraction to people or they express that they have these types of attraction, whether it's sexual or sometimes even sensual, but being able to be emotional towards other people or to desire a romantic bond is often the deal breaker for a lot of lifestyle couples. Yeah, and we we are experiencing that currently, you and I, in, a, in a, uh, our p personal situation. My external relationship with someone else is beginning to bring up questions about those things uh, for us personally. You know, we're, we're moving into the polyamorous space, which we, we have been for some time now. And, and my potential serious relationship with someone else is bringing all of these feelings up, right? And so you think about them in terms of our lifestyle friends, for example, people who are very seasoned in the lifestyle, they're experienced the idea that their partner would even go on a date with someone, let alone become involved romantically with someone other than their primary partner, it's inconceivable to them for the most part. They simply don't, they're not capable of wrapping their heads around it. They don't understand it. It's interesting because we are obviously a non-monogamous couple and we try to break away from tradition as much as humanly possible. But I think the idea of you showing romantic attraction to someone else or expressing that is still this little pain point because it's almost the idea of we're a team. We obviously love each other more than anything and, and we're totally on the same page with so much. And yet 
once the whole idea of you being romantic with someone else comes along, it's like, well, that's not supposed to happen, you know? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a very strange feeling for, I mean, for both of us, right? I mean, we're both experiencing these pulls in in multiple directions. I have feelings of excitement. I also have feelings of guilt. I have feelings of concern. Of course, my concern is for you and for your feelings. And so it brings up a, just a litany of emotions, and that's what you know. That romantic piece really can throw a wrench into any relationship, including one that's ethically non-monogamous, because it's uncharted water. Yeah. I think another important part of the definition of romantic attraction, though, is that it can look like a lot of different things. I think romance in general has been simplified in a way that is a little bit unfair. And I think part of it is the media. I think it's the rom-coms. It's the happy endings. It's the big giant kiss at the end and everything just works out perfectly. And of course, that's not real life. And I think especially when you're talking about something like polyamory, you're, you're talking about romantic attraction to more than one person. Things have to look a little bit different and people have to be mindful of what romance really means. And I think romance can be a lot of different things. I think for me, one of the ways that you show me your romantic attraction is you take good care of me. Like you do things, you go out of your way to show me kindness and to make my life as easy and comfortable as possible. That's a very romantic connection to me. Yeah, I think like you said, the media tends to romanticize romance, right? They make it seem very very overt and over the top and it's always the you know the big the big ending kind of thing you the know? eiffel tower or yeah, the fireworks going off behind you and you you're know. running through the airport just to jump in their arms at the last second before they board the plane to go to the other side of the country like right. all of that kind of stuff and not to say that that can't be the case from time to time right. but i also think romantic attraction is so much more complex than that and can look like so many different things i also think that there's a lot of layers to romantic attraction for sure for example you sharing your life with someone and divulging things to them and being willing to just you know completely open your life to someone is a type of romantic attraction all the way to you wanting to plan a really thoughtful and fun date for somebody. You know, those are two kind of different ends of the extremes, but both are romantic attraction. Both are a way to express that you're romantically interested in someone. Sure, and there's a a vulnerability that's kind of lumped in with the romantic attraction as well. And when you're prepared to be vulnerable, I think you're giving yourself to someone and that's that's romantic in and of itself. For us, like you said, it's the acts of kindness, right? My getting up in the morning first and making coffee for you, making sure I get up first and make coffee. It's just simple stuff like that, that, you know, while it's not the best example or the definition of romance, it's important to me because you enjoy those things and I like to provide them for you. So again, just a small way of my being romantic, I guess. Yeah. And I think as we go along on this journey, we're just learning a lot more about who we are as romantic people and the different types of romantic attraction that can be out there. Well, and I think romantic attraction is going to look differently in multiple relationships. For example, what you and I perceive to be romantic in our relationship, should this relationship with myself and and a gal that I've been, I'm seeing and potentially going to get into a relationship with should turn into a long-term committed relationship, it's probably not going to look the same as you and I. 
it won't your romance won't look the same to sh- to the two of us as it does to myself and to you. Yeah, because we have different priorities, we have different histories, we have different ways different of expressing things to each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's an interesting question for you about romantic attraction. Do you think it's possible to have romantic attraction and and express said romantic attraction to someone if you don't plan to be in a relationship with them? For example, the one that comes to mind, I had a play partner who was one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met and he would go out of his way to create scenes for us and to always have a drink waiting for me. And he was just so thoughtful. And in some ways that felt slightly romantic to me. Yeah, I imagine there's there could be a component of that. I don't think that romance is exclusively reserved for relationships necessarily, long-term relationships. I do think that it becomes more intense potentially and more meaningful as you continue Yeah, I think romantic attraction is definitely one of the types of attraction that is best built over time. It's one that does not necessarily just happen immediately, even in amazing relationships like yours and mine, where we were very kind of into each other immediately and wanted to be around each other all the time. I'm not sure that I would describe it as romantic right away. No, no, most certainly not. More than anything, I think it was a, it was an experimental, you know, we were in an experimental stage because you and I had determined that we needed to get into relationships that were outside the norm for both of us. And I think because of all of the unknowns, there was just this exciting energy about them. And I don't want to say that romance was put on the back burner, but it certainly wasn't in the forefront. We were just trying to experience as much as we could with a person that we were connected with in such a way that we didn't have any inhibitions. We started our relationship with 100% clarity and honesty about what we wanted and needed from said relationship. And because of that, while romance certainly was in the air, we were not focused on it. So here's another question for you that I think is interesting regarding romantic attraction. Do you think that you can pinpoint qualities in a person that would make you more likely to experience romantic attraction toward them? Yeah, I think it's possible. Sure. What are they? (laughs) Well, for me, I think it's touch. I think of touch instantly. Again, our love language is touch. And you and I are both very physical people. So I think if I have the proclivity to be in contact with someone more often or want to be in contact with someone more often or want them to be in contact with me physically more often, I I think that's the first thing I think of. Oh, that's really interesting. So basically what you're saying is sensual attraction could potentially lead to romantic attraction for you. Oh, 100%. And for me, I think it's almost... in imperative that it happened that way. Oh, that is so interesting. I'm so glad we talked about that because I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah, I think from a sensual perspective, if things are firing on all cylinders, that's really the only way that romance is going to creep in or certainly take over without the sensual component for me. Romance is very difficult to achieve. What about like personality traits or character traits? I imagine there's a small part of that that matters, you know, that would make sense. But for me, more than anything, it's that sensual. I have to want to be in your presence as much as I can. And then I think romance becomes paramount. I think for you, it's about comfort, too. You want to sure. feel comfortable. You don't want to be judged. You, I would say the quality just as your partner and knowing you as well as I do that most often could result in a romantic attraction is you feeling like you can say things without judgment right. and you're not going to constantly be held back or holding your tongue or censoring yourself. Well, also, and I, I want to be able to express myself certainly and, and, and have conversations 
conversations thoughtfully and cogently about needs and wants in said relationship. And I think for me, it's absolutely imperative that that go both ways. I need my partner to do the same, much like you and I do. We talk at nauseum about our relationship and external relationships and what those you know look like and what we're doing going forward in ethical non-monogamy and what kind of path we're on and you know our journey in general. So being able to have those conversations in a thoughtful way, yeah, that's absolutely important for sure. And not being scared of the repercussions of it. Yeah, you just have to, I want to be able to have that conversation and not have to have an argument over what we just talked about. Yeah, I think now looking back on it, that's probably what built romantic attraction towards each other was the fact that we could do that. Yeah. That we could say something to the other person and it was met with either a smile or a, hmm, interesting, tell me more. Right. It was never, what on earth are you talking about or yeah. anger or any of those things. Yeah, and oftentimes you see it. I mean, we, we talk to couples in our uh, in our coaching that that unfortunately that's happened. They, they have a conversation about something or at least they believe they're going to have an open open and thoughtful and courteous conversation about something, someone will make a statement, someone will make a suggestion, and all of a sudden it just they just blow it up. It, it, the whole thing just goes out the window, and it's difficult to come back from that. It's hard to reel yourself in. And, you know, I get it. Emotions run high in conversations, particularly as they are related to sexuality and sex in a, in a relationship. But you've got to be able to speak to your partner and have your partner speak to you in such a way that it doesn't get there. Yeah. You know, and that for me is important. If, if I have that, I feel like that's really the prelude into, you know, from sensual to romantic. Yeah. The comfortability and the vulnerability that are associated with that. I think you have to have both. You need to be comfortable and you have to be prepared to be vulnerable. So the next type of attraction is platonic attraction, which is obviously desire to create a friendship with a specific person that can either be more than a friendship or not, but it is based primarily on friendship. And luckily for us, so many of our dynamics and our relationships with other people in the lifestyle have been based on platonic attraction. Yeah. We're really lucky in that way. And I think that that's the one that would surprise non-lifestylers the most is that that is something that we look for and a lot of other non-monogamous people look for as well. Yeah, and we have a lot of friends who are, let's just say, platonic friends that are lifestyle folks, and we have more of them than not. And what I find, or what you and I have found, is that in talking to them, they also have a lot of platonic lifestyle friends. And I think there's a, a really good reason for that. We're outlining some of those reasons now, at least for us, right? You're talking about romance and sensuality and sexual energy. And when those things aren't necessarily all there or they're not all present, that doesn't mean you're still not interested in someone's company, that you don't like someone, you don't genuinely like them. And we like a lot of folks that we have encountered. And the friendship component, for whatever reason, a lot of times is really, it's the first thing that we are attracted to, the ability to be friends with someone, going out to dinner, going to a concert when that used to be a thing, meeting for a drink. Those are the types of things that we really enjoy about the lifestyle because we have the opportunity to be in the company of people who do not judge us and really, more importantly, understand us. 
Yeah. The majority of our couple friends in the lifestyle, actually all of our couple friends in the lifestyle started out as friendships. 100%. We have still yet to this date never met a couple. Well, that's actually not true. I was going to say we've never met a couple and played with them the first time, but I technically have. That we played with a couple in Nashville where the first time I was meeting these people, I ended up playing with the husband and you played with the wife, but you had met them previous to that. Uh, Yeah, 100%. There is still not a scenario in which you and I have gone and met a couple and it's both of our first time meeting them and we play that evening and a reason for that is because we enjoy developing a friendly attraction to people first i think there's a lot of reasons for that i think the biggest reason is comfortability it's developing some level of trust and an understanding of who that those people are that person or those people are on a more personal level versus just a sexual level because we have found that when you can understand a person you understand where they're coming from their histories, their life experiences, you're able to relate to them far more when it comes to an actual sexual connection. You're able to communicate more clearly. All of those things are firing on better cylinders. Yeah, there's no doubt that our best relationships in the lifestyle, at least those that have turned physical, have stemmed from us getting to know people first. There, there's no question about it. And you think about a couple that we have played with the most, our, our closest coupled friends. We have spent more vanilla time with them than we have had physical time with them. Although we have played with them more than any other couple to date because they're just amazing people and we really just enjoy their company. We have had many more platonic vanilla dates with them. Dinner, drinks, anniversaries. There's definitely a little squeezing under the table that goes on. I'm not sure you can call them completely vanilla, but yeah, not uh, leading to sex at the end of the night. Absolutely. And those are the relationships that I think you and I covet the most because they're just so fulfilling. You know, not that the the sexual component of our lives of the ethical non-monogamous space isn't fulfilling. I mean, that's why we're here. But to be able to have dinner or drinks or just a, you know, just meet some folks that are your friends and not have the pressure of worrying about, well, are we all going to have sex? It's just not necessarily on the table. It's just a comfortable experience. And that's, I think, what you and I look for the most and enjoy the most about the lifestyle. I think something else to do with platonic attraction is that once you know that somebody actually likes you as a person and they're not just viewing you as a sexual object, you can become far more laid back around them. At least I can. So, for example, with this, the couple you're specifically talking about, the ones that were probably our closest lifestyle friends back in Montana, I would get naked around them regularly. And I wouldn't even think about it because it's like, yeah, I've got some, I've got a pooch. I have some things that typically I would cover up and not want somebody to see. But these people like me and they respect me. And therefore, I know they don't really care much about those little extraneous things. They want to be in my presence. And because of that, I can really truly just be myself and not worry. Yeah, your imperfections really go out the window when you're with people that you genuinely like and that you know like you and respect you and don't judge you. When your platonic relationship with, in this case, a couple, let's say, is really solid, the rest of it just becomes easier, right? It just becomes more comfortable, more effortless. It's fluid. If it's not a platonic situation where, yeah, I really enjoy these folks as as people, I really enjoy their company in vanilla, benign settings, I don't know what sex is going to be like with those people. Yeah, it's kind of, you're rolling the dice for sure. Definitely rolling the dice. So I think when you and I have, we've had the opportunity to form relationships like that, if the relationship goes from platonic to sexual or physical, it's always better. Yes, agreed. Hands down, 100%. 
without fail, that's the way it's worked for us. What's really interesting, we didn't discuss this before we jumped on this episode. It kind of just popped into my head. I had a platonic attraction to somebody that then became sexual. And they were a platonic friend for a long time That's right. before it became sexual. That's right. And I think that there was a part of me that was really worried that we wouldn't be able to go from platonic attraction to sexual attraction and potentially back to a platonic attraction if that needed to happen. But that's exactly what happened. I played with this gentleman that I had been friends with for years. And leading up to that point, I didn't even necessarily consider a sexual attraction to him. A, because neither of us were in situations when our friendship began where that made sense. But B, because we were so focused on the platonic attraction to each other. We we were fishing buddies. We were beer drinking buddies. That was our dynamic. It was never a flirtation. It was never this idea of, oh, I wonder what he looks like under those clothes. But once we realized that we could potentially have a sexual attraction to each other and we were in situations where it made sense, it worked very well. We had a great time together and the sexual attraction was amazing. And then he entered into a monogamous relationship with someone. Our sexual relationship had to come to an end and we flowed almost effortlessly back into a platonic attraction. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the norm. I'm not saying you should uh, try that if you're if you're not sure that that's going to work for you. I think in a lot of situations, you could lose a friend doing that. But in this particular situation, I think our platonic attraction to each other and our desire to maintain a friendship was strong enough that anything else that happened felt extraneous. Yeah, that relationship that you're referring to was, again, it was built over years. So that platonic relationship was strong. And then, of course, you play and you have these these sexual experiences and circumstances led to him again getting into a monogamous relationship. And you just became, you know, right back into friend mode, just like you were prior. It didn't, didn't move the needle at all. And I think you're right. I think you're rolling the dice if you're going to try that. You got to really be sure of yourself and your partner and, the, and your relationship with that person to make that really work. Because as you said, there's always the possibility, you know, the sexual relationship is going to come to an end. And then what? Then you lose a friend? Like, it's not worth it. If you can hold it together, I think there's really some benefit to it. Because you get to see people for more than what you had seen them before. You get to really experience them almost in their entirety. It's, it's really interesting. Dig into their brain in a way that you never thought you would have before. Well, and now what happens is he contacts you and asks you questions pertaining to his relationship. Yeah. Am I doing this right? Does this sound right to you? Did I make a mistake? But once again, that was always a part of our platonic relationship and our platonic attraction to each other before things became sexual. We did that with each other all the time. We were each other's confidants. And the fact that we can do that again, I think what it says to me is that different types of attraction can live harmoniously with each other. And if you're emotionally intelligent enough, you can also separate them when the time comes that that is necessary. Well, you have to have, well, not just an emotionally high IQ, but you have to have a high sexual IQ to pull all of this off. I'm patting myself on the back a little bit right now. (laughs) I'm feeling a little smug. No, I'm joking. It worked out very well. But yeah, I, I like platonic attraction. I, of course, love connecting with people in general. I think platonic attraction is the one that can seem really easy, but it's also the one that can 
sometimes be a little bit superficial. If you don't foster it, if you don't continue to grow it, it can become this thing where it's like, oh, you're just meeting people for drinks once in a while, or, you know, you text each other once in a great while, but it's not necessarily an attraction at that point. Platonic attraction is about building that just as much as a romantic attraction, in my opinion. Yeah, it takes work. It's a relationship like any other, whether it's a platonic relationship or a romantic relationship. You got to work at it and you've got to give it its due and, you know, give it its time and dedicate some time to it really, uh, you know, flushing out all the details. And it, platonic relationship is no different. And as I said, I think you and I really benefit the most from the platonic relationships that we have forged in the lifestyle. Agreed. So the last type of attraction we are going to talk about is aesthetic attraction. So obviously, this is getting pleasure from the appearance of a person. And in other words, you enjoy what they look like, and therefore you are attracted to them, which is, I say platonic attraction can be superficial. But I think, of course, aesthetic attraction is the one that is incredibly superficial. It can also be a lot of fun. I think it kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. I think the idea of enjoying the way that somebody looks has this shallow connotation to it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that, especially in the lifestyle. Well, for you and I, I think this this one's interesting. Interesting because the aesthetic attraction is something that you and I share as I don't want to say we sh- we we use it as uh, levity, but we do enjoy talking about it, right? So what I mean by that is if we're out, for example, and we're we're sitting at a, our favorite restaurant or at the bar, and if the bartender is cute or the server is cute or someone is cute, we, you and I will point that out to yeah, each other, absolutely, and. You know, we don't know anything about this person. We they could we could be completely incompatible. You have no idea. It doesn't matter. We're just talking about how we find someone physically attractive that we've potentially never met before, just from an aesthetics perspective. And we have fun with it. It is so much fun. I think it's so fun to point out people to you. Uh, I, of course, know your physical type. You are a big fan of the big juicy booties. And I love pointing them out to you when we're at places. Part of it is tongue-in-cheek part of it is you know just our entertainment for the evening but I think another part of it is that for us in our relationship we kind of get off on the other person being attracted to someone well for sure there's absolutely that piece of it right you always want I mean I say you always we always want to know that you can tell me that you find somebody attractive I know you want the same thing because it's fun it's flirty it's silly and it's harmless. It also turns me on though. Yeah, for I, sure. I am turned on by you being attracted to other people. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of how you and I have come to get into this lifestyle to begin with and and what really fuels us, right? It's it's the idea that we are attracted to other people. We have the ability to express that to one another and in some cases obviously act on it and then bring that energy back home to each other. There are times, for example, where you will go out and find a potential play partner for me and you will not tell me anything about them. All you do is show me a picture or a couple of pictures. I don't know anything about their histories. I don't know if we're going to be sexually compatible. Obviously, I trust you that you're going to find good partners for me. But I think in some ways, that is your way of being like, I need to know or I'm I'm excited by the prospect of you telling me that this guy or this person is really hot. Exactly. Yeah. No, 
no, I absolutely do my best when, when I'm doing all the vetting to find people in, that I think you might be interested in, really attracted to, honestly, because that's the fuel for me. I want you to be satiated in all aspects. And it begins, of course, when you're first going to see this person, and I want you to be instantly attracted to them, and then from there determine the chemistry and the sexual compatibility and all those things. So yeah, I want all of those components to be met. I also think aesthetic attraction is the one that can very quickly be overshadowed by a lack of other types of attraction. So, for example, I have gone out on first meetings with very attractive people, very some of the most attractive men I've ever met. But I quickly realized that I, for example, have zero sexual attraction to them for one reason or, or another, whether it's a biological chemical thing, the pheromones just aren't quite matching up, or because there is zero opportunity for a platonic attraction to them. I don't necessarily like their personality or the types of things that they're saying. I actually went out with a guy when we were still in in Montana, and I thought he was a very physically attractive person. The pictures that he sent me, I was like, wow, this is a really attractive guy. I left that date so horribly turned off by him and I could not have been less attracted to him on every other level aside from the aesthetic because he was saying things that were completely opposite and combative of my personal values and beliefs and I just didn't think he was a very good person so I think aesthetic attraction is the one that can quickly kind of go down the drain well it's also the one that you and I again it's a tongue-in-cheek thing from an aesthetics perspective if we find somebody aesthetically pleasing to the eye that is in no way going to determine whether or not a relationship of any kind can take place it's just the first kind of thing you notice and it's nice that you can be attracted to somebody and it's really nice if you're attracted to someone and then you really hit it off with them but in many cases that's happened to us and a lot of times we don't ever meet the people that we're referring to it's just fun to look at people that we find attractive and really it's about you and I more than it is about them it's about how someone's appearance affects me or someone's appearance affects you and our interest in that person simply from an aesthetics perspective a lot of times aesthetics will let you down i mean you know they do they they did in this example that you're just you just gave just because someone is aesthetically pleasing to you does not mean there is going to be a connection yeah and a lot of times it does not mean that I also think that aesthetic attraction is something that can build over time. There have been times, for example, where I'm not 100% sure if I'm super physically attracted to a person, but then once we have the opportunity to play or I see them in a different setting, I see them maybe in different clothing than the first time that we hung out, any of those things can impact my aesthetic attraction to a person. For sure. And that's the thing. I think the aesthetic component that we're referring to is probably the one that is open to the most interpretation. What you find aesthetically pleasing to everybody finds something different in, in, you know, when it come, as it pertains to aesthetics in, in people. And yeah, it could be someone's clothing. It could be their demeanor has changed over the course of time for whatever reason. Even a setting, they're in their environment and they're just naturally more confident or comfortable. So of course those things can change. But yeah, aesthetics, I think, are the one, is the one that can really throw you. It, it can trick you. It also is one that can surprise you because I think if I'm going to share my perfect physical specimen, right, it's going to be a man over six feet tall, leaner, the kind of 
tall basketball looking type guys. Uh, they are, you know, maybe going to be a little bit more built. But there have been times when I'll point someone out to and it's something about them. It's their beautiful eyes. It's this effervescent smile. It's something about them that draws me to them. And I'll say, wow, that person's really attractive. And you'll go, really, that surprises me. I would not have picked that out. Yeah, like that's not someone I would have chosen for you. Because it's again, like you said, not the norm for you. It's not your, you know, quote unquote, chosen type. And listen, aesthetics can change. It can also affect you the other way, right? You may not necessarily find someone aesthetically pleasing to the eye or not as much as someone else because of a physical type that you like. But as you get to know someone, all of a sudden they become more aesthetically attractive to you. Yeah. Which happens a lot to us. And I think people that are not part of the lifestyle, that are not ethically non-monogamous, that don't practice in open relationships, would find that hard to believe because I'm sure a lot of people believe that all we're doing is just running around trying to have as much sex as we can with as many people as we can. With the hottest people with that the, we can yeah, find. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, again, all of that is relative, right? What I find attractive and what someone else finds attractive are very different things and, and that's great. But that's not the, that's not what we do. That's not for us. That's not the driving force for us. It's about relationships. It's about personality, connection, chemistry. All of those things are far more important than the aesthetics. I cannot count how many times, particularly since we've been in the lifestyle, someone has become more aesthetically attractive to me over time. Oh, 100%. We say it all the time. Yep. All the time. Yep. So uh, it's the one that can, I think, throw you, it'll throw you for a loop. The aesthetics, you got to be careful. It'll trip you up. Yeah. <laughs> aesthetic attraction. The, the most fun and potentially the most complex. Yeah, for complicated. sure. Complicated. Yep, for sure. So I think the reason that we wanted to have this discussion about attraction is because you can have different types of attraction to different people. And I think it is going to dictate a lot of the dynamic that you have with potential play partners, with potential lovers, long-term friends with benefits, etc. And and I think you have to be open to it. And and I also think that you have to be just you have to have an open conversation with your partner about the types of attraction that you're going after, how much you're willing to feed into those attractions, and also being aware that if you have certain boundaries in your relationship, certain types of attraction may be like playing with fire, right? If you yeah. are a if you're a swinger couple and you are not at all open to polyamory or emotional connection, finding romantic attraction with somebody else is probably a really big no-no. Oh, 100%. And, you know, there's other types of things that are going to be focused on vice versa. If you're looking for a more polyamorous relationship, maybe focusing so heavily on the aesthetic aspect of it, trying to find the perfect physical specimen for you is going to result in a lackluster relationship or one that is based on very shallow or shaky ground. Well, yeah, that's... I like the aesthetics, don't get me wrong. It's fun that you and I have the ability to kind of play in that space, but it's surface level. It's really, it's like training wheels, right? That's like the, that's, that's the first thing you, you do is look at someone's aesthetics. Oh, that person's really attractive or, you know, what a, what a really pretty smile. Great. Now I need to make sure that you're someone that I, I connect with on other levels, right? And if we don't, well, you know, it's just, it's not going to work. Yeah, but there are also lifestyle couples out there that focus specifically on the aesthetics. For them, Absolutely. it is about finding the hottest people that they can they can get with, that they can have sexy time with. And there's nothing wrong with that either. No. It's just about developing the right dynamics in your non-monogamous world 
and understanding how attraction impacts all of them. Well, the truth is you and I are not the norm in the space, in the lifestyle, in ethical non-monogamy for that matter, because we don't do that. We are not the one and done type couples. We don't do the one-offs. We don't go to events and parties and go to resorts simply to meet people, to have physical contact with them one time and, and we're done. We don't do that. We are not the norm. That we are people who like to form connections. They're, well, I, I don't like you saying that that's the norm in the in the lifestyle space. So I think what we've talked about a lot is that that is the stereotypical view of the lifestyle. But we have, I can't think of a single lifestyle friend that we have that focuses on specifically one and done interactions. Well, that's because there are friends. <laughs> that's true. That's so true. There are friends. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, again, even within these different niches, right, you form tribes. And we are attracted to people who are most like us. So yeah, our friends don't do that. But how many times do we talk to people at different, you know, in different parts of the world that reach out to us? Or we were at a club, you know, back when that was permissible and doing different things. And people would say, oh, we only play when we go out of the country. We only play when we go to a party. We only play, you know, in playrooms at resorts. That's their outlet. That's the largest majority of people I think that you and I have come in contact with. Our friends aren't like that because they're our friends. Right. I guess my point is that the entire point of this conversation is that attraction can mean a lot of different things. There are probably more than just these five types of attraction. For sure. And they can all be present in the non-monogamous world. And it's just about understanding which ones actually mean something to you. Yeah. I think in a perfect world, as you said, I think earlier, you touch on all of them. Well, certainly when you're in a relationship with someone, I experience all of these types of attraction with you every single day. Right. And, and that's why I love being with you because you speak to me on so many different levels. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's the, the goal, right? Is to get into the relationship where all of these kind of pieces of attraction are met on some level. I think if you, once you've found that, right, it's like checking all the boxes. Once you've been able to do that, Chances are you're in, you, you found the right partner. You're, you know, you're in the right space. You're in the sweet spot. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys want to have a more concentrated conversation with us, one-on-one, two-on-two, et cetera, on attraction or on anything to do with non-monogamy or sexuality in general, we have coaching services available and you can find all of the information at sexonyourterms.com. We love speaking to people. It has become a true life passion for us and we would love to discuss your specific situation. Situation with you. So again, sexonyourterms.com. You can also find additional resources there like blogs and a lot of other awesome stuff. Yes. You can also find our social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at sexonyourterms. And you can always email us directly at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. If you haven't already subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts or left a review there yet, we would appreciate you doing so. It really supports us as we continue to produce and grow the show. And I think that's what we have for you this time. So until next time, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms. <laughs>